0: God has not brought us this far to cause us to fail. I've heard that phrase used for many years. But I've discovered that it means something as true today as it has for decades. One of the core beliefs of the Christian faith involves the sovereignty of God. What does that mean? It means that we believe God has the supreme authority and all things are under his control. It means that God has the right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. The sovereignty of God. We understand that even in the most confusing moments, God is at work in us and through us and all around us. But sometimes it's easier to doubt God's plan than it is to believe it. In our churches today uh, are those who are in many different situations in life. Some are near To Christ, even at the door of salvation. Some are spiritually confused. Some are going through hard times. Some need encouragement. Some are praying for a loved one to be saved. Some have serious health problems. Some see no hope for the future. Some are estranged from their family or their friends. Some struggle with doubt and others with secret sins. But all of us need the grace of God. When we say that God has brought us thus far, uh, this far to cause uh, t- has not brought us this far to cause us to fail, we're talking about the doctrine of God's providence. In English, the word providence has two parts, it's pro and video, put together literally meaning to see before. And though the word itself is not found in many of the modern translations of the Bible, the concept is certainly biblical. It refers to God's gracious oversight of the universe. God's providence is one of the aspects of his grace. Oversight means that he directs the course of, of events and affairs. The, uh, the, world, uh, or the word universe tells us um, God not only knows the big picture, but he also concerns himself with the tiniest details of life. Let me suggest to you this morning that the doctrine of God's providence teaches us three important truths. And the first one is that God cares about even the tiniest details of our life. Nothing escapes his notice, for he is concerned about the small things as well as the large things in life. In fact, with God there is no big or small. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He keeps track of the stars in the sky and the rivers that flow to the oceans. He sets the day of our birth, the scripture says, and the day of our death. And he ordains everything that comes to pass in the heavens. Secondly, God uses everything and wastes nothing. There are no accidents with God, only incidents This this includes events that seem to us to be senseless tragedies. God can use every circumstance to bring about his good purpose. And then third, God's intention is to shape his children into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his Son." so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, God often uses difficult moments in our life and human tragedy to accomplish his purpose. Many verses in the Bible teach us these truths, including Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and we exist. <clears throat> Colossians 1:17. he existed before anything else and he holds all of creation together. Proverbs 16, 9, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Psalm 115:3. our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. In the words of R.C. Sproul, God doesn't roll the dice. Nothing happens by chance, ever. So with that as our background this morning, let's return to our study in the book of Ruth. We've seen how, in the time of famine, Elimelech moved his family to the country of Moab, which turned out to be a pretty foolish decision. While they were in this pagan territory, Elimelech and his two sons die. Ten years later, Naomi and Orpah and Ruth prepare to travel back to Judah, to Bethlehem, Orpah returns to Moab, decides to stay in Moab rather than go into Jewish territory, but Ruth pledges her loyalty to Naomi. And together the two widows, one old and one young, return to Bethlehem at the start of the barley harvest. Now this is a key uh, point of the whole story because it's going to be a metaphor for so much more uh, later on. They come at the start of the barley harvest, which was about April, May time frame. Naomi feels like God has abandoned her because she left Bethlehem full and excited, and she, or the husband with, with two boys, and they move to Moab, and she comes back empty. Now as Ruth chapter 1 ends, and we saw this last week, we can sense that something is about to happen. But what is it? How will this story unfold? And if it's true that joy comes in the morning, Naomi feels like she has been trapped at the stop, the clock stopped at midnight for her. So, where is the sunlight of God's presence and God's kindness in her life? The first three verses of Ruth chapter 2 begin to tell us the answer. And as we study this passage, we can see how God's providence works behind the scenes to accomplish something stupendous for Naomi and Ruth. And we have the benefit of reading the story back to front, don't we? That is, we know how it ends. But neither of these widows had the slightest idea of what was about to happen. So here's the question. How does God's providence work in the lives of ordinary people like Naomi and Ruth? Well, first of all, God prepares the people. Look at verse one. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. So far in this book of Ruth, there hasn't been much good news, but hardly any. In fact, uh, you have uh, have this ill-advised trip to Moab. You have three funerals, three widows, and a very sad trip back to Bethlehem. Naomi thinks that God has treated her harshly, and the only bright spot has been Ruth's declaration of devotion to her mother-in-law. But remember that they returned at the start of the barley harvest, and that that meant that there was good news here as well, because it means things are about to change. Ruth is one of the most beautiful short stories ever written. Every detail in this story counts. Nothing is added as filler. The beginning of the barley harvest alerts us to the fact that there's going to be changes in the fortunes of several people's lives. No matter what yesterday was like, we never know what tomorrow may bring. Anything can happen because anything happens all the time. And that's the background of this verse. In, in the first mention of Boaz, we learn that he was related to Elimelech. And later we will discover that he is qualified to be a kinsman redeemer. We'll explain that term a little fuller later But for the moment, all we know is that he and Elimelech are somehow related, and we also know that he's a man of high standing in the community. The phrase noble character can also mean something like mighty warrior or a man of great wealth. Perhaps all three of those ideas came together in Boaz. He's a man of character. He's a mighty warrior. He's a man of wealth. He's the right man in the right place, at the right time, but he doesn't know it yet. He has heard about Ruth's incredible devotion to Naomi, but at this point, he's never met her. Now verse one foreshadows the story that will begin to play out, and although Naomi came back home deeply discouraged, feeling like she had no future, God has been at work behind the scenes. And now his plan is about to unfold in a most unlikely way. Let me ask you a question. Are you worried about something next week? Forget it. God is already there. How about next year? Don't sweat it. God is already there. See, we talked about this a few weeks ago. God is always working on our behalf and he's out in front of us and all that we're uh, worried about today he's already got it you ever remember hearing about the prevenient grace of god now don't tell me no because every good united methodist should have heard that term at some point it's one of the key doctrines of john wesley's theology about god the phrase refers to the grace of God that goes before us. It means that in every circumstance of life, every situation, God is already at work even before we get there. Now, we often limit our thinking to the fact that God's presence is with us as we go through life. That's true. But it's also just part of the story. He's not only with us now. He's way up the road ahead of us. Let me say it another way. While I'm living in Tuesday, God is clearing the road for me on Friday. Or to say it another way, God is already at work providing solutions for problems I don't even know I have yet. Do we believe that as God's people? Are you worried about next week? Forget it. He's already there. How about next year? Don't sweat it. He's already there. What about that crucial meeting you have next week? Sleep well. God's already there. What about that tough decision that's looming out there for you? Fear not. God's already there. It would be enough if God simply walked with us through the events of life, but he does so much more than that. He goes ahead of us, clearing the way and arranging the details of life so that when we get there we can have confidence that he's already been there before us. And that's the prevenient grace of God. He goes before his people. He's at work in the future while we live in the present. And though Naomi didn't know it, it, and wouldn't have believed it, God was at work during those hard days in Moab. He was preparing Boaz to come and rescue her at the right moment. And remember, Boaz didn't know it either. Certainly, uh, Ruth had no idea. Each person did as they pleased, and yet it all worked out as God intended. And that's how providence works. God prepares his people even when we don't know that we're being prepared. He works in ways we can't see to accomplish his plan through us. Now, secondly, God arranges the plan. Look at verse two. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. Now Ruth and Naomi came back home flat broke. They were living somewhere below the poverty line, which is a dangerous place to be if you're a widow. But Ruth has a plan. She asked for permission to go to the fields and gather some fallen grain. And there are several things that we need to keep in mind at this point. First, Ruth is younger than Naomi and no doubt in better physical condition. And gleaning in the fields was hot, hard work, back-breaking work. It meant long hours spent following the reapers, the harvesters, hoping to pick up some fallen stalks of grain here and there. Secondly, God commanded his people to leave some grain in the field so that the poor would have something to eat. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19, way back toward the beginning of the Old Testament, it says, when you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain uh, grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it there for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. And then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. In order to make that point clear, God commanded the same thing regarding growing olives or even grapes. Don't be so careful in your harvest that you take every sheaf of grain, every olive, every grape off the tree, or off the vine, leave some behind so that the poor can find something to eat. That's what's happening here in Ruth chapter two. And then third, Ruth chose her character by not wallowing in self-pity. She's ready to work hard to provide for herself and provide for Naomi. We might state the principle this way, do what you have to do each day, but trust God for the right results. Ruth moved to meet her basic needs by picking grain left behind by the reapers, the harvesters. It's menial labor, but she wasn't afraid to do it. Ruth doesn't have a scheme in mind to catch a husband. She's not thinking, well, if I work in the fields today, maybe I'll find my future husband that way. This this was not the Old Testament version of (laughs) eHarmony. She was desperate to find food for herself and for Naomi, and as we'll discover later, God uses her diligence as part of his plan. But then lastly, God oversees the results. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now let's start with the fact that Ruth entered the field. That refers to a large tract of land divided up for various people. Eliezer might have had the far northern section of the field. Maybe Caleb had a section on the southeast corner Jacob would have grown his crops maybe over at the western edge and somewhere in the middle we find the property of Boaz. And the owners of of a large field like this would use stones uh, and other markers to indicate the various property lines. And that means that Ruth had no idea whose property she might be on at any given moment. And from her point of view she merely happened to end up on the part of the large field that was owned by Boaz. And the writer wants us to know that Ruth never set out to glean in Boaz's field. And that's true from a purely human point of view, but we know there is no such thing as luck or chance or fate. Nothing in the universe ever just happens. I love the words of... Alva McLean, who said, from the fall of a raindrop to the fall of an empire, all is under the providential control of God. If not, even a sparrow can fall from a branch apart from God's control. And if God num- numbers the hairs on our head, then he also know, uh, we know that he oversees the tiniest details of our life. Nothing happens apart from God's knowledge. Now this passage demonstrates how God works behind the scenes to demonstrate his will. Only the Lord knows what's going to happen next. Boaz has not yet met Ruth. Ruth isn't planning on meeting Boaz. Naomi has no idea Boaz and Ruth will one day get married. She certainly doesn't foresee holding a baby in her arms. She has no idea that God was putting affairs in motion that would put Ruth, this Moabite maiden, in the line of the Messiah. And the truth is, God will usually come to us like a sunrise, not like a sunburst. His plan and purposes don't just suddenly appear before us like the sun shining at noonday. The will of God rises slowly before our eyes, starting with a few rays of light that pierce the darkness and we see a shaft of light here and another one there, but mostly we walk in the darkness. And as we keep walking, light slowly fills the sky until the last of the darkness has vanished and we are walking in the sunlight of God's will. Something like that was happening for Ruth, Naomi and Boaz. Little shafts of light were coming to rising in the darkness. And soon the light would fill the sky as God's plan begins to take shape. And all they need to do is to watch and to wait and obey. And each step takes them closer to the destination God intended from the beginning. You see, that's how providence works for them and for us. Providence doesn't guarantee uh, uh, easy and immediate answers, but it assures us that there are answers and that we're not walking blindly through life left to our own devices. It tells us that through our good times and through our hard times, through our wisdom and through our folly, through our laughter and through our tears, God is working out his plan. The God who took quick care of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz is our God too, and we can trust him. I ran across this sentence uh, recently from the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, says, blessed is that person who sees God in trifles. What a positive insight that is. We tend to look at the million dollar answer to prayer and say, wow, what a mighty God we serve. But the God of the the large is also the God of the small. The God who hung the stars in space is also the God who numbers the hairs of our head. Why should it be a surprise that God is arranging for Ruth to just happen to glean in a field owned by Boaz. Circumstances are the fingerprints of God. No one saw it more clearly that day in Bethlehem than Ruth did. Naomi didn't see it, neither did Boaz. God's plan would only become clear later, and that's the way life is. God is doing perhaps 10,000 things in our life even right now. And we understand maybe three of those things. We can imagine all the different ways that God is working things out in our life for our good and his glory. Or we can put it this way, we don't know what we don't know. We are like little children peering through a keyhole. We see a tiny bit, but the rest is hidden from our view. Only later will we begin to piece together God's fingerprints and on the circumstances of our life. And that truth ought to build our faith. God is at work in my life in 10,000 different ways right now. And it ought to humble us. See, I'm not smart enough to figure out all the ways God is working in any particular situation in my life. But I know he's doing it. But it also ought to give us hope. God knows what he's doing even when my current situation makes no sense to me. The providence of God gives us confidence in moments of confusion. Today, many things in life may seem unclear, uncertain, undecided. We all have more questions than we do answers. So much of life seems like stumbling through the fog of haphazard circumstances. But one day, God's going to make everything plain to us, and all his ways will be proved to be right. See, life is a mysterious journey, full of unexpected twists and turns. The path ahead is a mystery to us all. No one can say for sure what's around the next bend. It may be a smooth road, it may be a lovely valley, or we may discover the bridge is washed out, and we have to find a way to cross a deep river. Often the road disappears, or it may seem to go in three different directions, and we, don't, we won't know which one to choose, but there is one who knows the way because the past, the present, and the future is all the same to him. And the darkness is as the light of day. He knows the way we should go. So we come to the bottom line, and that is that God has not brought us this far to cause us to fail. And we must say what the Bible says, that all things work together as part of God's unfolding plan of redemption. If this is so, then there is no such thing as luck or fate or chance. Do you believe that? I certainly do. So let this great truth be a source of security for us. Rest in the Lord. Lay your soul upon the solid rock of God's eternal providence. Rest in his control over all things in your life. Rest there and you will sleep well tonight.